Talking on Monday, and you know what that means. Yes, sirree, Bob. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring special guest star Mr. Stephen Baird, all the way from Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> and thank you, band. Good fate. Welcome, Steve. How are you, man? Good. How about you? <laughs> I'm good. He's a... Uh, Steve's been on the show a couple times before, and uh, I just talked to him the other day about something completely unrelated, and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm here in L.A. I'm uh, looking for a place because I'm moving out here, and I went, oh, you're in L.A. Come on by and do the show. So uh, here he is, and uh, I've got a special place in my heart for this guy, only because he has extremely good taste in clothing. He once walked up to me at the Taxi Road Rally, and uh, he was wearing a green t-shirt, kind of a pea green t-shirt, maybe slightly lime green. God, everything is so red today. I'm not this red. It must be the lighting. And, uh, oh, let me get the chat room open. Hello, everybody. Anyway, uh, Steve said something on the order of, wow, man, I'm so stoked. I totally get it. And, and went on to explain that, you know, he wanted to be a rock star, right? right? He was a rock star. Yeah, it was my original intent, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And, and it's like he, he got hit by a bolt of lightning at the first road rally. And we had a, a room, like a little suite set up with a video guy. And you could just walk in and say, this is what I dig about the road rally. And uh, I, I met him and he was just so like, honest it's straight up and it, you could tell he was going to grow up to be a nice kid <laughs> and, and you know he did um how many years ago was that like seven or eight um easily yeah yeah, yeah solid seven or eight i can't remember exactly but i want to say it was like the it's 2009 road rally i think it was 09 actually okay so that would make it eight years or no we haven't done well no i okay. think it was 08 actually okay so yeah, yeah i joined in 07 and then i made 08 and then i missed 09 i believe so all right so he he is definitely in the club of um taxi members who make a crap load of money <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about that um he and Chuck Henry, uh, I did a thing at Chuck's condo in Hollywood with them, I don't know, maybe nine months ago, something like that. And uh, and, and they did a thing here uh, like a month before Road Rally 2015, I believe. And I'm, I'm very proud of both those guys because they're very normal, nice, hardworking guys who have figured out that you can make a ton of money doing instrumental cues. And... Uh, maybe the secret sauce is their work ethic. So I said to Steve, why don't we have you on the show today? And ultimately we are gonna get around to talking about the work ethic, but I've got a list of questions, which I put in the email that went out. Um, and I'm gonna go down the questions at a fairly good clip today, because as these guys know, Chuck is here sitting in, in the background trying to make us laugh. Uh, I've gotta to go to my daughter's, uh, my granddaughter's first birthday party. So at like 5.15, I'm going to turn into a pumpkin and bolt out of here. So I want to get right to the questions and ask Steve uh, maybe my favorite question of all, which is tell them the gear you had when you first started out. <laughs> the, this, you're not going to believe this because people think you need, you know, like $50,000 worth of stuff. It was uh, Reason. 
I think 3.5. It wasn't even 4. 4 hadn't come out yet. Or it had just come out and I didn't have it. So it was like Reason 3 or 3.5 or whatever. Which was a, a pretty nice piece of software. Yeah, it, yeah it, you could do a lot with it for sure. Um, and what did you have computer-wise? Computer-wise, was just a, it was a PC actually. Just a fairly you simple. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did switch to Mac a few years later, but... Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was some sort of a, it was a PC that I actually had built, but um, like it was fairly cheap. It was like maybe 600 bucks, I think, to have the, the whole thing done. And um, <clears throat> and then I had a, the keyboard I had uh, was an old uh, rolling keyboard um, that my mom used in bands back in the 80s. And so it didn't wow. even have like a velocity sensitive, you know, touch or anything. So like if I wanted to have any sort of human element in there, I had to go in and and actually draw in the velocity and, and edit wow. it that way because whenever I would play it, it would just all come in as, as one velocity because it was. When you so drew long. in the velocity, how hard was it to like get the taper on that? I mean, wasn't it, it kind was, of an angular thing? I, you know, <laughs> I just uh, the way I looked at it was I was like, well, I pretty much did it. Like I kind of tried to think on like as I'm playing it this way, you know, like how hard am I hitting it or not hard? And then I would just kind of guess and just kind of randomly change the notes velocity and uh i figured that's better than nothing which is what it was <laughs> you know going in so and that's kind of that was kind of it yeah so you started out with that gear but you got some deals and placements using that stuff right yes actually yeah actually um yeah the the first deal that i got was uh with a couple tracks that i did with that with that setup yeah and i didn't even have monitors at the time actually i had i had headphones and then i had just like computer speakers wow so, okay, yeah, so. so for all of you out there who are new to the show, maybe new to Taxi, um, and, and new to thinking about film and TV music, th this just proves that's one obstacle you don't have to think about is, oh, I need to go out and invest in a bunch of gear. That if you really want it badly enough and really think about what you're doing and study what other people have done, even with crap gear yeah, <laughs> and a good much, work yeah. ethic, you can so make it work. Yeah. Um, so let's see what what was the epiph there's not a word epiph epiphanic <laughs> when was the moment that you had the epiphany that i don't really need to be a rock and roll star um i can do this film and tv stuff and earn a good living well it kind of happened um i don't know if it was one moment exactly it kind of uh was a process because i i played oh, go ahead and lie about it because i want to make this more interesting <laughs> no, no, I, no i um so i i played in a band uh for a little while in and, jacksonville um, in jacksonville which yeah. is where he's from jacksonville and, yeah and i played i played mostly uh mostly guitar in it but then i'd also switch off and do some bass and keyboards because we had a lot of stuff going on but we didn't have a lot of members so sometimes i'd have to kind of switch things around and you were young and, right uh, you were like yeah, 19 was, 20 years no, old no I was, I was a little older than that i was probably 22 two-ish at okay. the time something like that 21 22 somewhere in that yeah so early 20s and um yeah i just got to where i realized that uh, i really didn't like playing in a band actually and it wasn't that like my band mates were jerks or anything like that they're great um actually to this day i still work with one of them um he does a lot of vocals for, for stuff i do for film and tv and uh I just realized, I was like, you know what, you have to do these rehearsals, and then you have to, you know, haul the guitar amp and the guitars, and all, and then it doesn't really pay any money, and there wasn't even really, you know, it was all original music in Jacksonville, so there wasn't even, like, there was, like, groupies or anything like that, like, because there's hardly <laughs> any, 
So I'm like, there's, I'm not really getting anything out of this. Like, there's like not many people showing up, and, you know. And <laughs> it just <laughs> didn't care about the money, just no groupies. <laughs> yeah, just, like all all the stuff that I I'd grown up watching, you know. Like I felt like I'd been lied to, you know, about the rock star life. I was like, this is not really that fun, and you don't even make any money. So I was like, this. Then you know, I started I started doing some production at the time. And uh, I kind of started realizing that what I really liked to do was sit at home and, and write music. That's really what I liked. It wasn't so much the performance part or anything else. I just liked to produce music. And then I was like, well, how do I, uh, how do I make money doing that, especially in Jacksonville, Florida, right? I mean, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. So, so then I, that's when I found out about Taxi. Actually, actually it's funny. Actually, I, I found out about Taxi a couple years prior to that. But I had zero equipment, and I was literally like 18 or 19 years old, like just out of high school, and and really had no way. And things were a lot more expensive back then yeah. to to get started. You know, like in the early 2000s, it was not like it is today, where you know, you know, every laptop comes with fairly good <laughs> recording software. Yeah. You know, like or you can download stuff for free off the internet, and you know, you can do some some pretty good stuff. Um, but back then, you know, it's like you know, like having a computer that was powerful enough to to do anything was fairly expensive or you had to get like an actual like one of those console type units and then the sounds I mean those were a lot more expensive or they just didn't really even exist like the really realistic samples um, and it was just everything was more expensive and more difficult to do back then um, but then you know a few years later things changed and then that's when I found out about uh, a rediscovered taxi and I was like alright I'm gonna give this a shot because so how long had you been a member when you came to that road rally and I met you were you like a brand new member um, at that point I I had been a member for about a, a year just over a year okay like a year and a month or so a year and two months and he was like definitely that. advertising the fact that he was a, a starving artist because his yeah. shirt said carries no cash yeah, yeah. and, I, and I, I didn't nope I did not <laughs> I think about that shirt it's funny how you know some Sometimes the dumbest little things in life are the ones that stick with you till the day I yeah, die. Yeah. <laughs> you will always be in my memory wearing that shirt. That was my first image of you. And, uh, okay, so, let's see. Oh, okay, so did you have a day job back then? I don't think I, I ever yeah. asked you. What yeah, was your day job? Um, so I worked doing, uh, I worked in like a chiropractic and massage clinic doing like insurance billing and phone calls, just like really a bunch of front desk office stuff okay yeah, so um, not that exciting and not career building no but it had a fair no not at all but it had a fairly uh flexible schedule um for me uh so it kind of it kind of helped out Did like, you i didn't have to go in there super early you know because like the earliest i'd go in is like nine or something like that you know usually like 10 because most of the appointments seem to be kind of starting late morning into early evening so that kind of worked out for me because then when i'd get home i, I didn't write music till you know, midnight or something like that. And, and did you ever get to, like, do mas massage any, like, guys with hairy backs or anything? No, I didn't do any of that. No, no. I did I did do a couple of the, uh, like, when they would do, like, some seminars there or something like that. I, I did, you know, sit in on those, and I learned a couple things. But, yeah, enough <laughs> to know that that's definitely not what I wanted to do for a living. And when you joined Taxi, came to that road rally, and it kind of all gelled for you that you wanted to pursue film and TV music, um, do you remember like what what your first step was when you left that rally and went home? Um, assuming that that was kind of the moment of when you started. I don't know. Had you started doing film and TV I, so before? So I, I had. Um, I had like I had a. Let's see here. I had a couple deals um, through Taxi by the time I. I oh, before, so I had a couple oh, I things. I didn't. I hadn't really made any money hardly. But uh, 
you know, I had I had a couple deals going, so I was I was writing for ah, film TV okay. at that point. Um, but the first rally was really uh, kind of where it made it seem much more uh, doable because uh, that was the first time that I remember meeting people that were actually you know making either a part-time living or a full-time living doing music. Whereas before, I I had never met anybody because you know whenever you when you're living in like a flyover city, you know that's that's kind of like a, that's something you only see in the movies, right? Like, so right. you don't really. It's not like like here, you know, like you're surrounded by it, you know, like in in New York, and like you don't really realize that if you live in a bigger uh, city like in LA or New York, like how much different the, the culture is whenever you go to a uh, you know smaller city where they don't have an entertainment industry. You know, like what what is the population of Jacksonville? Give or it's take? supposedly a millionish. Wow, so, so it's like a second tier city. Kind of, yeah, it doesn't feel like it though. Like it's so <laughs> it's so spread out. It's kind of like LA in that way, and that's very sprawling. Yeah, and uh, it's just there's you know a it's lot a little people. inland, right? It's, or is it on it's, the coast? It's on, it's on the coast, oh, okay. yeah. I mean, but I mean, like downtown to the beach with no traffic is like about thirty minutes, oh, okay. something like that. So and that so bad. why haven't you called me to come down and go fishing yet? I mean, you can. <laughs> Do you fish? I, I so I will on occasion, like if. Uh, if you know, like everybody in Florida, they have a boat and they, they enjoy it for about three months and then it just sits in the yard and turns to garbage. So whenever a friend gets a gets a new boat, you know, because I like being on boats, I suck at fishing actually. So oh, I'll, okay. I'll go out and I'll and I'll fish. But uh, yeah, yeah, anytime. All right. Most people seem to go farther south though to fish. It seems. I know, like. but you know, I I have a theory about that, which is all the people who are fishing are down south too, so that there are a lot more fish still alive and and populating the waters in northern Florida. It's possible. Um, I couldn't tell you because I never catch anything, really. So well, I, I'm, I'm passionate about fishing. I mean, if somebody offered me a job for like 20000 bucks a year to leave taxi and just go fish every day for, you know, like 400 bucks a week, I'd say, see you later, suckers. I'd be so, so out of here just to fish. I love fishing. Um, so do you remember the moment when you got your first placement? Um Yes, actually, and well, so it's kind of hard to say because you know placements are so weird. Like you, know, you sign stuff and you send it out, and then a lot of times you don't really know, you know, until you get the, the check. But I'm pretty sure that um, I actually was able to see my first placement, or if it wasn't the first, it was definitely one of the first. But yeah, it was on actually the Doctor Oz show. Oh, okay. And I remember it was the opening song for like the first first show of, the, of that series like ever, and it was wow. Yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that was that, that was that was my first placement that I that I that I know of, anyways. Maybe I had something beforehand, <laughs> right? But, you know, I didn't know about it, you know. And, and then it comes on the royalty statement, and like who knows when it actually. How did that feel? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, to have this. Uh... Dream. I mean, that's the ultimate manifestation is, is hearing your work, knowing that other people are hearing it at the same moment. And did you call your parents and go, "Holy crap! Guess what?" Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was jumping up and down. I was, <laughs> I was, I was very, very excited. And um, actually, no, I believe I was uh, with maybe it was my mom at the time because I think at that time I was not. Because it came out at 3 in the afternoon, and I remember seeing it. So I think at that time, that was whenever I was in a transition period of not having a day job. Okay. And I was stocking shelves at Old Navy, actually, part-time, and then doing that. So you know how to do the crisscross, crisscross sleeve fold thing? 
You know, uh, where you use the little card and insert it in the T-shirt and flop one. No, 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 they never taught me that. <laughs> no, I, and I was always pretty terrible at folding. I was, I was the guy. Somebody had to come behind me to, to fold <laughs> clean up right your here. work. I definitely got better at folding working there, but uh, I mean, most of most of what I did there was like uh, like unboxing stuff and hanging it and stacking it on the shelves and stuff like that. My like parents uh, owned a little uh, department store in a farm town in Illinois, and so I used to stock the shelves and uh, offload trucks and. It was like graduation day when I finally got to use the steamer. And this big old industrial steamer. And whenever you pulled like dresses out of boxes, they were all wrinkly. And I would sit in the stock room steaming dresses. I felt so important. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take much to get me excited. Um, do you remember how much your first check was for? Okay, so um, I can give a pretty close estimate. So my first ever check that I got was... Uh, was actually for doing um, was like a buyout thing for it was it wasn't much really um, but it was like seventy one dollars and some odd cents I can't remember the exact amount but seventy one something dollars and then my first uh, that was actually that that came within the first year um, and then my first royalty check was like thirty two dollars and some odd cents something like that. Was that yeah. an eye-opening moment for you? It's like, wow, if I could do that X number of more times per month, then I could turn this into an income. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was just like, all right, good. This is a this is a start, you know. Like, so yeah, it was it was it was a, it was pretty exciting to, um, yeah, to actually get money. Uh, you know, like I'd been paid for performing, but I'd never been paid for writing before. So so getting it, getting checks that uh that were for me writing music was was yeah, it was really cool. Uh, for those of you who see the sunlight on my face, ironically, as Chuck can attest behind him, I taped together about eight pieces of paper and hung them up between the blinds so that the light wouldn't come through and hit me on the face during the show. Somehow the sun has found a way to come <laughs> yeah. to another spot and hit me on the face. Uh, excuse me. Um, so how did you make the transition from having the day job um I'm assuming at some point you started doing this, like, you know, figuratively or literally from nine to five. Um, how how did you, did you have your day job for a while? Because somebody or something had to pay your rent and put food on the table. Yeah, I had. How did you make that transition going from working yeah, I had, by? Well, I mean, the first of all, I was young, so I, I never really had any money, never had much stuff. Like, I had my car paid off. Um, like, so my bills were ridiculously low. Yeah. Like I think that is that is that is one thing you have to keep in mind. Like if you've got a situation where, you know, you've got a mortgage and a couple BMWs in the driveway and all this other stuff, you're going to have a whole lot. <laughs> I look over at Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have you're gonna have a you're gonna have a, a much more difficult time because you've leveraged yourself up. Right. You know, whenever you're younger, you know, you don't you don't really have anything. You know, unless you unless you know you just you have family money or something like that, I guess. But generally, when you're in your late teens and early twenties, you don't have anything. And it's a lot easier to do. And that's why that's a, why I really wanted to make sure that I I, I went for it because I knew that it wasn't going to be one of those things where um, well I mean I guess you could but like I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was like okay I'm going to get the 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 corporate job you know and then then I'll kind of you know uh, uh, you know kind of stick my you know toes in the water and, and see how it goes and then maybe if it builds up then I'll I'll quit the corporate job and then a lot of people do that and. and... I think a lot of people don't start because they have that same fear. It's like, uh, you know, they've got the corporate job. And, and look, I get it. If the corporate gig comes with health insurance and you've got a family and you've got a mortgage and you've got a couple of car payments, um, 
and you don't have several hundred thousand dollars in savings um, and you're not a young single guy that's a bitch you know to, yeah. to come home after a long day at work and have dinner with your family and then start working on your music anybody who has all the all that burden and finds a way to do that um, I have tremendous respect for so yeah I think that yeah, you've told me you didn't grow up with a, a silver spoon in your mouth, but I think you were fortunate in other ways that yeah. your your expectation level and your level of responsive financial responsibility was low enough that you were able to do it. And yeah, exactly. The yeah, stars so, lined up for you. So for me, the transition was really, it was, it was easy because it's like, okay, well, I can be poor and do something I don't like because the jobs I was looking at like were all call center jobs. Like with, even with a bachelor's degree, it's call center job, like $12 an hour. So I was like, okay, so I can do something I don't want to do and be poor, or I can do something I want to do and also be poor. So it's like, it's like whenever you, you don't, you didn't really have a choice, really. Like so, and like the transition, there wasn't really much of a transition. It's not like I'm having to, I would have, to, I was having to step back in lifestyles, you know. Like I was driving an escort, and that's, you know, like, and it was paid for, and that was it, you know. I Better was, than spending your money on yeah. escorts. Yeah, 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 there you go, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely smart in that way, absolutely. <laughs> But um, yeah, so uh, like yeah, for me like the, the it wasn't really much of a of a transition to be honest, because um, yeah, it took a it took a little while to uh, you know build build it up, but um, you know when it started taking off, it was it was really good. Like I was then I was it was more of a jump in, in lifestyle upwards than it was taking a step back because you know I had savings, I had kept my bills down. Um, so you're fiscally responsible inherently. I mean, you yes. were that way before you started making real money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always, I always had savings. Um, like even whenever I wasn't making much, I'd always have some sort of, of savings. Um, yeah. I, I saw a post on our forum about five days ago that, yeah, honestly, it almost made me cry because I, I, it really disturbed me, and I'm still thinking about it now. And I've been thinking about this for years. Both of you guys know me well enough to know that I've always been on a tear that um, not that many people have retirement income or retirement savings. And I'm in the baby boomer generation, and there are going to be millions and millions and millions of my friends and neighbors and the people that I, I've known forever that don't have enough money to retire on. You know, what are they going to do at, at 65, 70, 75 years old um, when Social Security may be the only income they've got? So I have long said, and people laugh at me and they feel like I'm trying to sell them a bill of goods, that this may be the greatest retirement investment uh, or vehicle, pardon the pun, um, out there, for certainly for musicians, because yeah. it's cumulative. And I think about you, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today was to put an exclamation point on the fact that, I mean, how old are you now, 32-ish? 33. Okay, so, um, man, you, you know, you have a guaranteed lock on retirement, and that's amazing to say in, in this day and age. Um, and some of the people watching the show right now are probably going, well, you know, I'm, I'm 58, so for me, I'm, I'm screwed because I'm not a young guy like he is. I don't have 30 years ahead of me. But it's taken you eight or nine years to build up to this income level, which is, you know, probably makes you a one or two percenter, I'm guessing. I mean, 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing yeah. better than most for sure. I, and, and okay, so if it took you, you know, let's say nine years from ground zero to today to get up to that place, well, somebody who's 55, if they took nine years, they'd be 64. They're still a year away from a young retirement age by today's standards to get to that same income level if they play their cards right. It's not easy. Um, no, I keep no. looking over at Chuck because he knows all this stuff as well. Um, it, it, nobody, I am not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everybody can do it, but I am saying that it can be done. Yeah, and absolutely. Lucky you, because if you're at this income level now in your 30s, imagine the cumulative effect plus the the kind of a multiplying effect of you taking the money that you save every year and putting it in good investments, whether that's, you know, real estate, stocks, bonds, annuities, whatever. Um, and I'm sure now knowing that you're fiscally responsible, you're probably spreading your stuff around. I absolutely. Yeah. Some in that, some mm -hmm. in that, some in that. So the, the combination of those two things working in your favor, you're just another regular guy who's a musician who's going to retire really friggin' nice yeah. <laughs> because you played your cards right. And that's all that's I want for the about. rest of you. Um, <laughs> So, okay, uh, let's talk about the progression, like how much you made in the first year once the income started coming in, and then how much would you estimate? I know you're not going to remember exact dollar amounts, but give them kind of, of an overview of it started out at, you know, $300, then became $1,200, then $16,000, something okay. like that. So the uh, the first year I made the seventy one dollars and oh that was the whole cents. banana right that there was, was <laughs> year number one year number two I think I made about a hundred dollars or so because I think I got another check production you know fee or buyout fee right. or whatever for that so plus you had a the thirty something dollars a thirty percent increase in year number two yeah yeah <laughs> that's good right I, yeah, exactly. I, I would invest yeah. in stock right yeah, now thirty yeah, exactly. percent um, and then year number three uh, let's see here. Year three, I think I hit around sixteen grand. I wow! Think, Why the big jump? Um, I just had, I just had done a ton of music, and I think actually in somewhere around year two-ish or beginning of year three, I can't remember exactly when, um, was whenever I I came a little more full time. Whenever I was, I had you know the the job at Old Navy, which was totally part time, and then the rest of my time I was spending writing music like constantly. And so my output really picked up. And then, of course, the music got better because I was able to focus on it more. I wasn't, you know, uh, coming home at whatever, five, six, seven, whatever whatever time I was coming home from the, you know, working all day long and then doing music. I had, you know, I went in really early, worked whatever it was, four hours or something like that, and then I had the rest of the day to, to do music. And were and, you pretty responsible about sticking to a schedule? Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, a lot of times, you know, because I'm not a morning person, so, you know, having to, uh, you know, be there at like 5 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning to stack close, I would have to take a nap when I get back <laughs> for an hour or two. But after that, you know, I would I would, I would, would hit the music. Um, so I, I think the reason why there was a big jump was uh, – um, one, I, the music that I've been writing the previous years started to, you know, get uh, placed and, and get going. Uh, any idea how many uh, songs or tracks you had out there in the world that became that kind of cumulative step up that year? Um, I'm I mean, not was sure. It, was it, it like two dozen or two hundred or? 
it was probably it was probably a few hundred. Oh, at wow. At that point, okay. it's probably 200 or so, something like that. I'm guessing. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, so yeah, there's there's more tracks. I was getting better at it. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I'd met Chuck, and and he kind of got me submitting more to non-exclusive libraries. I'm gonna and, talk about that. Which... And so I started doing that, and that that really helped boost the income as well. So uh, let's go back to the the annual growth, and uh, but I do I just underline because I have the exclusive versus non-exclusive issue, and I want to talk at some length about that. So how do you think uh, you did in years? Four, five, six. So then year four, I remember it was like 40 grand. And then year five is when I hit 100. Wow. So his members often talk about the five-year plan. Yeah. Yeah. And year five, I'd, I'd hit 100 at that point. Yeah. So yeah, it really, once it started, once it, yeah, once it, you know, started picking up like that first year where I hit around 16,000-ish. Yeah. From then, it, it just really, you know, jumped. And then it's kind of, you know, it kind of leveled off and it's kind of in a, in a range mm-hmm. at this point, which, you know, I'm working on breaking out right now. Hopefully in the next couple of years, uh, that'll start to take effect. But, um, but yeah, like once it, once it starts, you know, once you start seeing like, you know, those bigger numbers like that, like if you're, especially if you're doing a full time, then you can really see it start to explode. Or at least um, in my case, I did. I, I don't want to ask you for a specific number, but have you ever broken the 200K mark? I have not. Not yet. That's what I'm working Close? on. Uh, no, I mean, what was it? No, I'm a little ways off at 200K, unfortunately. Um, okay, for some reason I thought you had In the but... 150s. All right. Um, so still. I'm working on it, though. <laughs> that, that's a, a pretty enviable income. Um, there aren't that many musicians. And the thing about it, that make that number and make that number consistently. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing, is that... It's consistent, and I have a feeling that if you just stop making music tomorrow, that the income would come in for a number of years because you've got so yeah. many pieces out there and so many libraries already. Mm-hmm. That uh, I guess at some point they would ta- it would start to taper off again, but as it is now, you're constantly feeding the pipeline, so you're growing. You're planting seeds in multiple gardens at all times. Yeah. So when old crops die or soil becomes unfertile, is that a word? Yeah. Um, infertile. Yeah, whatever it is. It, it doesn't grow anything anymore. Yeah. Um, you've always gone on to more fertile fields and planted new seeds. Yeah. Ba- basic, you know, basic yeah, that's, that's farming. One of the, that's one of the things I really, it's kind of a little bit of a retirement plan built in because uh yeah you can you cannot do anything for a while and you'll still make something at some point it'll it'll taper off but yeah and then if you want to switch industries like you know you want to fish for a living i do you've still got that (laughs) income coming and while you build your other business up you know i uh yeah i do want to fish for (laughs) (laughs) or raise goats i'm not sure which i both fascinate me although i've done fishing and, and i'm good at that but raising goats not so sure yeah um let's talk about uh Songs versus instrumentals, and I know that you do both, but I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you do mostly instrumentals. Yes. And mostly cues versus longer... Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, mostly mostly cues. So let's talk about the difference between... Um, we get asked this question a lot at Taxi. Members call up and they go, you know, I see a listing here that's asking for um, instrumentals, and then another one's asking for instrumental cues. 
my personal explanation for that is that an instrumental is basically more like a song. It's longer and it may have an A, B, C section, uh, verse, chorus, and a bridge. Um, and it's laid out probably more like a song, but it doesn't have a vocal. And maybe the vocal has been supplanted to some degree with the melody. So I would call that an instrumental or a jazz piece um, could be an instrumental. Whereas my definition of a cue is it was more than likely written specifically for media. The structure is more likely just an A section that builds, drops back, builds, drops back, and then ends on some sort of hard ending like a stinger or button ending. Um, it could have a B section, sometimes even a C section. Am I, as somebody who's in the trenches every day, are my definitions in the ballpark of accuracy? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's that's how I would I would explain it, actually. So then, when you sit down to make music, are you generally thinking of today I'm going to do cues or do you sit down and create and go, oh, this one's longer. I think I'll let it be an instrumental. No, pretty much um, I sit down with a purpose and usually it's uh, I have a brief of some sorts from somebody. And um, so like I, I kind of know the minute I sit down or before I sit down, I know like, all right, this is what I have to do. I have to do five EDM cues like this. Um, and then that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, I don't really do the... Uh, every now and then I might start writing something and maybe I'll start, you know, I'll, I'll uh, be doing like EDM cues or something and I'll start on one and I'm like, you know what, I think maybe this this would be good with a vocal and, and do better as a song. And so then I'll, I'll kind of, you know, you know, save it and then kind of push it away and then start, start on another one and do something else that, and, until it sounds more cute. But generally... Yeah, whatever, um, whatever I'm going to be doing, like I already, I already know before I even start working, and usually it, it, it sticks with that. Like I don't, I don't really have many instances where I start on something. I'm like, oh, this actually is sounding more like a cue than a song, or does it sound like a song? Or like, you know, I've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, I, I have my different, you know, modes that I go into, and, you know, and it's however, whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing that day, that's that's what comes out. And a moment ago, you mentioned the word brief. And for viewers who are not well entrenched in this world, a brief is basically a brief description given by a music supervisor, maybe a music editor, maybe an executive producer on a show that says, we need this kind of music, maybe with maybe with a reference to something else. Um, but more often than not, not a whole lot of words, not a whole lot of description and often not as accurate as those of us in the industry would like them to be. Yeah. We, we had a case today where it's like, find me music like these examples and here's the genre and the two were not even close. Yeah. We see that a lot. So being that you've been doing this now for a while and have established many relationships, um, people send you briefs directly because they know that you're talented in certain genres and they will say, um, Yo, Steve, uh, send me party EDM tracks, uh, you know, fist pump in the air, woo kind of stuff. And you see I go to a lot of parties. Um, do you ever pick and choose which briefs you will work on based on this one has been requested by somebody who works on a show that I'm not going to make a lot of money on or it's not going to see a lot of airtime this person has traditionally made me a lot of money because the show airs on MTV and gets a lot of repeats all over the world. Do you, do you go through any sort of kind of financial planning when you pick and choose yes. which ones you're going to work on? Because um, like I'm, I'm 
so busy I'm overloaded at this point. So essentially the way it works is whoever is paying me the most up front and pays the fastest, they're the ones that get priority every single time. Because like I don't um like I don't do a thing where uh, I'm like okay well they're they're you know not paying me uh, they're only paying me X amount of dollars and really I want this so I do a crappier song you know? like I, I have a hard like <laughs> you get the I B plus a, version yeah yeah I have a, just yeah just because I have a I mean it's not that I've I've never done that especially if it's specifically asked because there's some some companies actually want something that's not like really like kind of uh, like current and hot they want something a little more subdued because that just works with the sound of their show or, or whatever but generally I have a very hard time um, uh, dialing it back to the point where uh, <laughs> I would be like where I can line it up like work for money I have a hard time you know like it's almost always like if I'm not if I feel like I'm not getting paid uh, enough or whatever like I'm like I can't dial the work back, so I'm like, all right, now this is this is the, in the $200 range now. So um, yeah, I kind of go full force with it, and so yeah, whoever is paying the most upfront and uh, you know is paying the fastest, then that's who's going to get priority. You know. So and, it, 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 comparing it to prostitution, <laughs> you go for the, the the oil shakes with the private jets versus the guy yeah, on the street corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it makes sense, you know, why? Because your time is your inventory, and your yeah. talent is your inventory, and your output is your inventory. Why would you invest it in something that's going to pay you less? So, again, another, the reason I'm asking that and the reason I made the uh, analogy to the uh, guy with the private jet versus the street corner is that it shows a certain amount of financial planning and business sense on your part. You're yeah. not just a musician going, oh, I love this kind of music. I think I'll make it. Oh, cool, that guy wants it. it mm -hmm. You're putting yeah. your, your, it's the, the, I can't think of the right word, but it's kind of a confluence of all, all those elements brought together that are making you successful. Yeah. Or have made you successful. Yeah, you got to look at it like, a, you know, there's, um, yeah, you only have so much time. And um, more importantly, I think so much energy. Because you are like, and some people are better at doing the, you know, the, the like turning them out like a, you know, production line type thing than right. others. Um, I can certainly get into that mode. I'd prefer to not be in that mode. And you know, you're 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 in a creative field, like you're having to create. So you know, you have to pick. Like if you've got, like if I've got, if I've got three guys or three companies, whatever, who are offering me between two and five hundred dollars for EDM instrumentals, and then I have another comp company saying, well, you know, can you do us five EDM tracks for free? basically mm -hmm. you know but i mean you get rider share obviously but you're not getting anything up front but would you like go how... for, you'd go for the people paying you the cash up front and probably the highest dollar cash up front which once you've gotten to the level that you're at you get those offers versus a newbie we should make that clear that people just starting out aren't going to get a lot of offers for 500 bucks a track typically right now when you have to make the decision over okay this person's going to pay me five bills per track up front for a, a buyout on the copyright Yet that person's offering me nothing, but the last time I did something for them, it went into a show that they regularly work on that's syndicated all over the world, and I made a ton of money on the back end. Do you ever do that equation? Yes. And um, are there ever yeah, cases I, where you net out better on, on the back end than you might on the 500 bucks up front? Yeah, there's, that's, you, there's definitely times, which is why um, you don't necessarily want to shun the ones that aren't paying you any money because, uh, you know, like I can think of one off the top of my head. 
um, they're not paying anything up front, but they make me a good bit of money on the on the back end. You know, they get um, they get music into a lot of uh, shows and spots that um, you know other companies don't. So that's the kind of the way you know you, you, it's it's a balance, and you got to figure that out. Like you know, what what is your balance? Like what balance works for you? Like for me, usually, yeah, it's it's you know whoever's paying me the most money. But there's definitely times when you know I will. Uh, you know, take a break from from writing those, and I'll I'll work for another company that uh that they might not be paying me anything up front, mm-hmm. but I know it's something I can do fairly quickly. Um, you know, like it's not like it's it's like this huge orchestral thing or something, or something that I've got right. templates for that I can, you know, come up with you know relatively quickly, and I'll and I'll do work for them because yeah they they get a lot of placements. Um, but I always will do less of that than the stuff with the the guaranteed money because, um. Yeah, I mean, if you, even if they've had a good track record of give, getting you a lot of placements, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get you a lot of placements with that new track. And when you're doing it, you're essentially you're speculating. Right. You know, you're, you're working for free is what you're doing and speculating that you're going to make this up in the long run, which maybe you will and maybe you won't. So that's why, you know, that's why I usually take the ones that are paying me, me up front. Uh, it makes sense because uh, we get members that call us up and they get pretty cranky. It's like, dude, you know, I've I've gotten three things into a library through you. They'll either get cranky with us or cranky with the library owner. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, a library means production music library, which is a catalog of music for media. Um, they can be called a music licensing company. They could be called a library. They could be called a production music library or just a music library. So um, we get people that get a few things in the library, and they expect that in the next quarterly payment from their PRO, be it ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC, that, well, gee, they've had this stuff in their, their catalog now for months, and I haven't made any money yet, to which I quietly laugh to myself, but I understand. You know, from their perspective, it's something they've wanted their entire lifetime. Finally, they get their music forwarded by taxi to a publishing entity, um, be it a library or, or music licensing company, all basically the same thing. And, and then they're sitting there thinking, any day now, any day, my music's going to end up in yeah. a TV show and I'm going to make money. It could very well sit there forever and not make any money. Yep. Have you had that? What? I'm going to ask the question a different way. What percentage of all the, I'm guessing, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 pieces of music you have out there in several different catalogs, what percentage have ever made you money versus what percentage are to this date dormant and not? Uh, you know that's a that's a tough one. Um, well, give me a good answer. I'm, tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to think. <laughs> you could I mean guesstimate. I know there's. No yeah, I'm trying time. to guess. Yeah, you know the person to ask this question is Matt Hurt. He keeps track of all that crap. Yeah, he would know. He would be able to tell you exactly 33.3 percent. <laughs> He's Swiss. Whatever. He's supposed to yeah, be that. Yeah, yeah. Meticulous. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but for me, I just kind of like push it out there and, you know, cross my fingers, I guess. But, um, uh, no, so it's interesting. Um, it does seem like uh, a smaller percentage of your catalog is what makes the most amount of money. Like it's not like it's, it's, it's you know, you can't really average it out because like, you do have a lot of tracks. You have tracks that will make you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars maybe. Yeah. And you have ones that will make you basically nothing. Um, like, I've uh, had ones like that. We, uh, we talked about the rally um, um, with Matt and Chuck, actually, and 
I can't remember who's the third person. You weren't on that panel. Who who's the third person on that panel? Um, what? I didn't borrow your team either. Matt, um... Oh, uh... It's completely... Oh, Ohio. Uh, uh, Keith LeBrand. Yes, yeah. Ohio. <laughs> I knew that. Ohio. <laughs> um, so, it's the 80-20 rule. For those of you who don't know, there, there's a thing in business uh, called the 80-20 rule. Um, that 80% of your income will come from 20% of your customers or efforts. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, and so I, I think Which is why numbers are important. Like that's yeah. I, I, I do believe in quality over quantity any day. Um, however, there there is a there's a balance like with everything. Like you can't just have like three really awesome tracks usually and think that you're going to make hundred thousand a year on those three like not but people do there's exceptions yeah for sure like maybe you get a you land some huge ad, ad no i mean people think that oh people think that <laughs> yeah, oh yeah and yes there are I those mean, exceptions yeah there, there are some exceptions like where people would literally do a few but you know that's that's the exception you, you can't base your your business on exceptions you know what i mean you got to yeah. go like what is Oof. generally the case that's a quotable know? quote yeah <laughs> So um, yeah, and usually yeah, it's I, yeah, it's about right. Yeah, I'd say, and that's why you need to have your 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 numbers up. So uh, yeah, it's quality and quantity. I think it's more quality than quantity, mm -hmm. um, because I know there's guys out there that have way more tracks than me that aren't aren't doing as well as I do. Um, what is it that determines quality of one? Let's say that you and three or four, you and four other people. So now we have a, a sample group of five musicians that are all very capable and they are all making um, EDM instrumental. What makes yours better than that person or the person or that per you know? Well, it might not even be so much that mine's better. It might just be that mine uh, is better for production music, like the ones that I do. Well, what makes um, it better for production music? So, or more, uh, has gives it more usability. I you guess. know, it's it's kind it's kind of it's kind of hard, cause, and it's it's always it's always a little bit of a guessing game, and you're just kind of going with what's worked in the past and what you think would work. Yeah. You know, like watch the shows. You know, see see what they're playing, and then as you're as you're playing songs, like think, does this sound like something that would go in a show? Because there's there's tracks that I've done where, um, and sometimes these have been ones that have been uh, requested uh, by mm -hmm. you know networks and stuff. And as I and I'm doing exactly what they want, then they're accepting. But as I'm doing them, I'm like, I don't think that this is going to get used in a TV show ever. They're going to pay me, and then it's going to sit on a shelf and just collect dust. Forever. And is that and, because they don't really know what to ask for, or because? No, I think that that's I I so I think. Um, no, I didn't know what to ask for. Like, I mean, they, they want. I think I don't really know to be honest, because I'm not. I'm not working at any of these places. So I don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But like, I think what it is is like th that's what they want, and a lot of times they probably want to use it, but it just sometimes doesn't work. Like, there's times whenever you're writing music where you're like, oh, you know what? I want to put this in there, and you put it in there, and it's like that just doesn't really work. And then, like, I, I've had I've had s sample packs and sounds that I've bought thinking that it was gonna work for something, and it didn't, and I just have never really used them before, you know. And um, I hear. Oh, I thought it was a phone. Okay. No. Um, um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Like um, you want it to be really, uh, you want it to be current sounding and to be catchy. Like you definitely definitely needs to catch the ear. But then also, um, you want it to be able to, to to fit in the scene without it like being distracting. Like some um, of like, like when you look some, listen to some of the really current EDM especially the kind of more dubstepy stuff I don't think that that really works very well for TV shows because it's just there's too much going on it's too crazy sounding it's awesome mm -hmm. it's impressive but um, 
it doesn't uh <laughs> yeah it, that was yeah that was very weird <laughs> yeah <The lights> were <laughs> wow yeah, I, I think um i think it's just a little distracting so i guess yeah i, I don't know like, that's one of those things where it's kind of like you just kind of have a you're just kind of doing it and you just like you feel like okay this sounds like this would go good in a tv show or this this wouldn't you know um it's kind of hard to, to describe in words i hear stuff and just saw somebody mention something uh, roughly this in the chat room uh this is the quality issue. Uh, we get very frustrated at Taxi when I'm thinking of a library, uh, what I would call an A-list library, a quality brand of library that we hadn't worked with um, either for quite some time or maybe never at all. And I went and visited them in Santa Monica, I'm going to guess like last August, and met with the CEO and the president and um, the head of a particular division that was going to be running listings with us. We all got along great. Um, they ran one listing in particular really kind of got under my skin. It, it was an electronic Christmas thing and they gave us an example and we couldn't use the example because it was from their catalog and people would have figured out who the company right. was and just bombarded <laughs> them. But we found other examples that were every bit as good and on target as their example. And nobody would question that comparison. We ran the listing. We probably got 120, 150 submissions for that one. And then we whittled it down to, I think, about a dozen-ish. Maybe it was 17, whatever it was. It was under 20, more than 10, under 20. And myself and I think three or four people from um, Taxi, not, not the screeners that had already been through them, three or four people from the company that know what they're doing, that listen to music all the time. And we came in here together as a group and listened to more tracks in this company's catalog online. So we all had an image of where their bar was at. And then we went back and listened to the stuff that we had been, that had been forwarded by our screeners. And we knocked probably three of them out of contention for one reason or another. They just weren't as good as the stuff in the company's existing catalog online. We sent the stuff to the company and the feedback we got from them was not that good. Hmm. Certainly didn't suck, but not good enough that we won any of it. However, the Asian music you sent was excellent. We find us more of that. And we all sat here scratching our heads going, the people at the company are certainly not stupid people, but we knew with absolute certainty. I mean, they're, they're really, I'm sure that you and Chuck would listen to this stuff and go, yeah, you met the quality bar, if not exceeded it. And yet they didn't take the stuff. Um, and then I go home and I, I listen to a lot of music at night when my wife is sleeping where I'm standing three inches from the TV in our bedroom and I'm listening really carefully to the cues. I'm going, man, there's stuff that I know that we wouldn't forward that is making it into TV shows. And it frustrates me on behalf of the members because why do why does stuff make it out there that probably shouldn't and then why does a library say not good enough and we send stuff that i have zero question in my mind that we met or exceeded the quality bar 
So do you see that? Uh, do you get a brief sometimes and send stuff directly to the person who requested music from you for a brief and, and they're like, nah, it's not working for me? Or other times hear music in shows where your music would also be and you go, why did that make it in the show? Because it's just not that good. It sounds like yeah, somebody I, who's new to the game made that. Yeah, I mean, I've had um, I've had that experience like in uh, like I've had stuff or that I've done that I didn't think was good that mm -hmm. got used. Wow. You know, um, I had, a, there's one track, it has been all over TV, it's a song, all over TV, been in a movie, and I, like, it's fun enough, I guess, but, like, it's old, and it was, it's not my favorite, put it that way, mm -hmm. but it gets used, like, every year, in big shows, and movies, apparently, now. What about it, so, do you think? makes it it's desirable. just goofy I, or what about it makes it desirable i mean yeah, I, I, I think what it is i think plain and simple is what it is is um it was kind of like what i was, I was talking about earlier where it doesn't so it creates it like it has a so like it's an era piece it's like an, an early 90s sounding mm -hmm. track which is what it was supposed to be and uh it it creates that that vibe like it like when you listen to it it, it brings you back to that time mm -hmm. but it's also not going to draw your attention away from whatever's going on the scene to listen to the song. Like it's it's kind of like that perfect kind of balance of like good but not too good. Yeah, I think. Um, I, I I get that because you don't want to win composer of the year because if anybody notices your music, they're not hearing the dialogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's what happens a lot of times, and that's and that's kind of what I was talking about with the word where I've done tracks where I'm like this sounds almost too current mm -hmm. in a way like it's gonna and who knows it might get used it hasn't been used yet it's been over a year now so they might get used at some point but uh, I just I don't I don't see them getting used a whole lot they just don't seem that usable to me these particular ones and I've done a lot of stuff like that which is fine um you know that's just kind of because because you never know it's again you know part of diversifying. Uh, I hear stuff in libraries, uh, libraries that are our clients at Taxi. Uh, I've picked up the phone. I do this actually fairly often where I, I will someday, something strikes me. I come in in the morning at 9.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there listening to tracks in a well-known library and going, I can't believe they still have this stuff in the catalog. It's just not that good. Orchestral is probably one of the biggest offenders because orchestral music ages. It, it, it's like cheese. It doesn't, well, it's not like cheese because it doesn't age all that well. Orchestral music from 1992 versus 1986 versus 1974 versus 2014 versus 2017. They all have a different sound. Yeah. Um, and now, funny enough, not that funny actually, um, orchestral music that you would often hear as score is not getting used as score, not getting used that much, period, because they're using um, more like um, sound design stuff, you know, mm -hmm. very uh, Trent Reznor kind of stuff. So anyway, I've been known to pick up the phone and call library owners that I know um, and say, I know you haven't run a listing in a while, and we did speak last September, and you said, no, nah, we're good, Michael. We don't really need anything right now. I hope I'm not offending you with this call, but I want to tell you, I was spending some time listening to your orchestral stuff, and it is not current sounding. Not very good. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there, there's a little moment where I gulp and think, oh, crap, I just blew that relationship. <laughs> but I'm just, they can tell I'm being honest and sincere and actually looking out for them. And yes, ultimately, I'm trying to get some listings that our members would enjoy um, submitting to. But 
it is true that music sometimes ages less than gracefully and you could make the argument musicians will make this argument yeah but there are movies from the 90s where they need stuff that sounds like it's from the 90s and that's true but going back to what you said earlier it's not the the big money bet no you know that that's the yeah it could happen and it may or probably will happen at some point but wouldn't you rather make a piece of music that's going to get used four times in a year versus once every four years? Yeah. And the library owners, um, I've, if I can be really immodest, and I'm going to be, um, I personally kind of feel like I was somewhat responsible for the resurgence and requests industry-wide throughout libraries because we've worked with so many, and I was on a terror, uh, a terror, not a terror, um, for about a year to get them to freshen up their orchestral stuff. And, and they did. And the bummer is now that many of them have gone through that freshening up process, um, less and less orchestral is getting used and more soundscape-y, sound design -y stuff <laughs> is getting used. So um, maybe it wasn't the brightest idea I've ever had. Um, earlier you mentioned templates. And I'm a big fan of, of using templates. Can you explain to our viewers what templates are um, give an example of a template and why it's advantageous to use them. Yeah, template is just like, uh, you know, you, you, if you have like certain genres where you have to do a lot of them, mm -hmm. and usually in a short period of time, you uh, have it, because a lot of times, um, like EDM and hip hop are good examples, you're, a lot of times if you listen to them on the radio, they're, they're using a lot of the same kicks and snare sounds, um, like especially like one artist to the next, like you listen to a lot of uh, EDM artists, like they usually are, are using the same like kick or two like a lot of times not all the time but like there, there's a couple of them I can think of where it seems like they use the exact same kick every single time um, which is fine because you know what it works yeah and you know the consumers are really listening and saying oh that's the same kick they're just like is this another song? 808 yeah exactly like, what uh, you know they're, they're listening to the whole the song as a whole um, and I would say most editors and music supervisors are probably doing the same they're listening to the whole the, the song as a whole how it comes together and how it creates that mood. So a template would be something like where you have like you know a kick, snare, maybe a couple uh, builds in there, um, and have the have your your a few synth sounds that that you know you use a lot, um, like the big saw synths, like an EDM that, that get used a lot and seem to be very popular, especially for doing a, a production music EDM. And you just have that kind of set up and ready to go. So then that way, whenever you go in to write the track. You're not having having to go and find a kick all over again, which can take forever. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not having to set up your mastering chain again, um, which doesn't take that long, but still, it's one less step you have to do. Um, and then you can just go in and you can focus on actually writing the track instead of all of the the little production details that can really make it take a long time to do a track. Because like, I mean, you can getting the kick to to getting the finding the between finding the right kick and sub and then getting it to to uh, sound right in the mix. Mm -hmm. on a track that that can take like hours like it really can it can take a long time depending on how complex a track is and what all's going on so like once you find one that works you know just keep it maybe have a couple of them where you have a couple different kick sounds and then yeah then that way you can focus on you know creating the melodies and you know a couple other cool little tricks you know to make it sound more interesting so you're not having to do the same you know, all right, let me load up the 808 again, let me load up the 909 or whatever it is. Um, Do you tune your kicks to a note depending on the key you're working in? And, well, I'll get to the second half. It depends on what I'm doing. Um, sometimes I do, uh, a lot of times, with, like, so if it's a longer sub, I'll, I'll, I'll tune that. Like, so definitely with, like, hip-hop stuff where they're, they're doing the really big, long, boomy 808. Mm -hmm. 
that'll make sure that that's in key. Um, a lot of the EDM tracks, whenever the uh, if I'm if I'm doing one where it's um uh, just kind of a shorter sub where it's just getting that nice type sound underneath the the, the kick. Um, a lot of times that I, I, with that I won't try to get it in tune with whatever uh, key the track is in. Does it I'll get lost if it if it's so that's that's how I'll tune how I'll tune it is you know I'll I'll go up and down you know a mm-hmm. couple half steps and until I I get to that spot where I feel like it's cutting through the mix just right so what key it's in who knows just like but if it sounds like it's you know giving me the desired effect of the sub then and if it's short you don't really have to worry about it because it's not like a you know when it's long obviously you, you the notes held out and you'll be able to hear it and you know if it's in the wrong key it sounds horrible. But if it's short, then you don't really notice it. Back in my day, in the Jurassic period, we didn't have the ability to, like, page up or scroll up or turn a knob, you know, to to tune a kick. We actually had to say, all right, everybody go grab a (laughs) cup of coffee, send the drummer back out to the booth, you know, going around around the head, (laughs) tuning it. Um, but it does make a difference. It makes a world Huge of difference, difference. And, and that's it's not a rookie mistake, but it's something that a rookie wouldn't know is sometimes just changing, um, uh, you know, the, the relative pitch of the tom toms can mean a world of difference. Sometimes mm-hmm. changing the key that a track is in. Yep, that can make a huge difference. Huge. I've had to do that before where it's not working, I change the key, and then all of a sudden it works. Yeah, because yeah. maybe you're in the upper register of a middle key, uh, but the bottom end is also up there, mm-hmm. and you're just not feeling the bottom. You drop it down, you know, half step or something, and all of a sudden it's like yep, it's there, and you go, damn. Yeah. <laughs> that was just revelatory. Switching gears now to the issue of copyright. We get asked this question all the time, all the time. Um, as recently as like Thursday of last week, somebody asked, somebody in the staff asked me because they had somebody asking them on the phone. New members or people that are not yet taxi members. We get this call where people say, I'm, I've got you know, 78 pieces of music, but I'm not going to join taxi until I copyright them. Um, and, and then they will um, send in the paperwork and the copyright, and they will wait sometimes six months to years. a yeah, six <laughs> months to a year and a half to get anything back from the copyright office. Now, I do not want to say that you should not register your copyright. And there is a difference between cop- something being copyrighted and registering that copyright. Big difference. Uh, registering means that you've actually done the paperwork or online work and registered it with the Library of Congress so that if somebody does rip off your work, you can prove the date of creation because they've got it. Um, I think the last time I spoke to you and Chuck and several of our mutual friends that I would call um, high-end, busy people, do you copyright or not? No. Okay, so all of a sudden I could hear a gasp coming through my, my computer yeah. uh, uh, no no way hundreds of people going oh, he doesn't copyright his stuff tell them why not i mean god it would be easier to tell you why you should because there's fewer reasons i think that you should I, you know like michael i don't want to say you shouldn't do that because i don't want to get in any trouble but, no, but why in general all right so first of all uh, i think you are thinking very very highly of yourself to think that somebody is going to up and steal your song that you know it's that the got. precious factor yeah like come on well you know it's I mean? it's understandable because it, people it is, put their heart and soul into I, it i think a lot of it's people they see these movies you know 
<laughs> about this person getting ripped off and and, all, and like that I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen but again we're talking exceptions here so like how are you going to base your life you're going to base it like you know like you could die in a in a plane crash is that going to keep you from flying and going on vacation probably not um but no the thing is is like okay so I've read a little bit on this. Technically, the minute you create something, you actually you're, it's copyrighted. Um, the registration process takes forever, and a lot of these companies they want it now. And whenever you, you send it out to them, and then they release it, you know, it's your copyright's taken care of. Like you know, you have like it's like I guess the ultimate form of you know copyright protection is is releasing something like right. It's, it's out released. in the public. It's out in the public. View, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Although a lawyer so, would argue with that we'll probably from argue, a practical yeah. standpoint. Yeah, you're right. If people can see that it aired on an episode of the Kardashians on March 16th. Yeah, then it's there. And um, I just, like, why? Like, more than likely, nobody is going to uh, be stealing your, your track. I just, I just don't see any reason to do it. Like, I don't see any benefit. And I've even heard that just because you have it registered doesn't necessarily mean that you have, like, it's not like you have this full protection or something. You know, like, it it could still it, not go your way in court. It gives you a, a leg to stand on in court, but my personal understanding, and this is not a recommendation. I want to go on record saying I'm not recommending this. It's just my observation combined with my understanding is that the amount of money that a single 90-second or two-minute instrumental cue, which you can replicate twice today or five times next week, for the most part, you, you know, you can get make many more of them, will take you more time and cost you more money to register that copyright on that piece than it is likely to earn you yes. in its lifetime. Yeah. So Absolutely. that seems to be the logic that I've heard from several of my friends who choose not to copy or register their copyrights. However, yeah, I've forgotten about the cost thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you, you, even if you're doing a an, not an SRE, whatever it is, where you can do a group of them at one time, mm -hmm. um, it, it still can get a little pricey. So, however, if I personally were going to do a song that I was going to pitch to Beyonce or some big artist on a major label. I'd probably register that copyright because that, that makes more sense. Because also, one, it's just fewer tracks, and you're talking a potential larger right. amount of money, potentially a larger amount of money, and, and going through a number of people that would have a motive. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the that, biggest issue here is who would want to steal your what I call um, stupid little instrumental cue. I say that affectionately in quotes. Versus, I can see why somebody would want to steal something that sounds like a hit record. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that it that it makes definitely way more sense. It, to me, it makes no sense to to do copyrights for production music. But like, yeah, if you're if you're planning on pitching it to an artist, then yeah, sure, because then you got a little more time, and then you also have to realize, yeah, okay, so you're spending the money, you, you might not make it back, but, uh, you know, the the potential to make money, you know, make a significant amount of money is is much greater there. And mm -hmm. so yeah, that I you know if somebody says they're doing that, I'm like okay, that's fine. But if you know they're like I've got these seventy instrumental cues and I need to copyright i'm just like what are you thinking i mean like can you imagine like you know you say to a publisher or a library or whatever like yeah hold on let me get it get the <laughs> copyright back from the you know the copyright office whatever like i mean they're gonna they're gonna be like are you kidding me what's wrong with you like this is gonna be the single most commented thing when this video goes up on youtube the number of people that are going to be debating this issue <clears> is, <throat> is probably going to be significant but is it a fair statement to say that the majority of professional 
composers who make cues for television um, don't register copyrights? I don't know any that do. Okay. Not that I know all of them. Right. You don't know, I don't know all of yeah. them? Yeah, I don't know all of them. But all the ones that I know that make a living at it don't do that. I know Chuck doesn't. Um, I'm pretty sure Matt Hurd doesn't. Um, and he's meticulous, as I yeah, pointed out before. Yeah, he's very meticulous, much more so than, than I am. Um, so, yeah, no. And, you know, they're debating it. Yeah, yeah, you know, you should, you're wasting your time. I mean, honestly, yeah, you go ahead and you, you debate it, and I will, and everybody else is doing this for a living, will be spending that time writing music and then watching our bank accounts grow. So yeah. you can sit there and debate it all you want on the Internet and call us names for not, <laughs> I don't care. Like Not to your face, Steve. Like, yeah, no, no, don't be on the Internet, I'm sure, yeah. Like, or give me the, yeah, yeah by anonymous. Most of the people that call me names are, they all have the same name. They're all anonymous. <laughs> um, all right. I've got to leave fairly soon. So I'm going to open it up now in a minute. You guys start getting your questions ready. And in the chat room, uh, put the word question in all caps, colon, so it just pops out a little faster because things are going to fly by. Um pretty quickly. Um, so I'm going to ask one more question for Steve to answer until we start grabbing yours. Um, how do you feel about music libraries? A, a blanket license is when a library, a, a publisher, says, here you go, here's 5,000 pieces of music in this electronic bucket, in a file, if you will. Um, you can use this on your reality show all season long in 2017 for a fee of $8,000. Some of those companies are nice, ethical, good business people that will say, okay, Stephen Baird has had 112 pieces of his music used, and Chuck Henry's had 104 pieces used, and Matt Hurd has had 96 pieces used, and they will proportionately slice and dice that payment that they got out to the composers so that they are compensated um, for their music being in that bucket of 8,000 pieces. Now, the people whose music is in the bucket that didn't get used don't get a proportionate piece. Fair enough. There are other libraries who will license that entire 8,000 piece of music bucket and never send you guys a check. Right, that's probably uh, most of them. Uh, that's most of them. Now, how do they get away with that? Doesn't that piss you off? Uh, doesn't it piss off, and I mean you, know, you cumulatively musicians, not just you personally? It does in a way, but then whenever I see, because like I only can think of one company that, that does that. And uh, they send out one check every year, and it's not that big. For the proportional? Yeah. Really? So, yes, yeah, I mean, it's like usually like 150 bucks or something like that. And do you still year. make money on the back end when your stuff gets used? When you're yeah, in a it's live certain you know, networks, networks that, that don't that pay, don't, right? Yeah, do direct licensing. Do. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, technically, um, like, yeah, part of me, like, yeah, we should be getting, you know, a portion of that. But at the same time, you know, that's a lot of tracks and a lot of composers for them to divvy up not a whole lot of money. But then it you stays know, I mean, in like, their pockets. And so. it stays in their pockets. But then the way you have to look at it is also, then are they taking that money and that time that they would be spending on that and, you know, finding more opportunities for your music that's going to make I you hope so. a few thousand a year instead of, you know, a few hundred. I sure that's, hope so. That's the, the hope. But the thing is, you know, you just never know. It's just like any business. You know, you have things where you're like, well, I don't know. You know, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's not illegal. No. Some people might say it's unethical, but you make a good case for... The amount of time it would take them to 
slice and dice the payments to 684 people um, might be better spent yeah, I'm bringing yeah, in like more I, things that are going to generate bigger I get bucks. statements. Actually, there's another company. I don't know if it's it's if it's for direct licensing or, or um, uh, for blanket licensing or what it is. But like, I'll get statements from for whatever it is for like pennies, and I'm just like, you know what? The amount of money and time that they spent to print this up to tell me that they earned me four cents, you know, and then all the postage and everything else. Like, I just like I don't know if that's that's really worth it. But I mean, I mean, I'm glad that like that, that they're they're doing it in a way because it's like it's like well you're getting your fair share of whatever these pennies are coming from I guess but um, yeah so I don't I don't know really to be honest I don't know you know it's an issue that will long be debated it. you yeah. and I will be dead and in yeah, the ground yeah. some of us sooner than others I respect. <laughs> uh, um, all right so let's take some questions from our online viewers and the first question is what do you what is your target length for most cues? Um, and, and kind of the shortest and longest, the, the range. Uh, I generally shoot for two minutes. Um, I try not to go under a minute 30. Okay. Uh, but generally two minutes and definitely max at three, but really I like two minutes and 30. So really between a minute 30 and 2.30. Okay, which is typical for what we get asked from the companies that run listings. Um, Vincent Brennan wants to know, how long does it take a library to get in touch after an EDM queue is forwarded to them? I don't think it matters what the genre is, Vincent, but no. uh, how long does it take after... So, <laughs> this is an age-old question. Um, it could yeah. be, you never know. It could be like 24 hours. It could be a year. Yeah. You know? I think our <clears throat> current uh, record holder was six years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's I had, exceptional. <laughs> I had one like that was maybe two years, two or three, something like that. But it was definitely in the and it was more well well over a year. And we um, get yeah, so blamed for that at taxi. It, it that upsets me. I gotta tell you. Some some things don't upset me, other things do. It upsets me when members don't when they drop out of taxi, they don't renew, and you would think it's because I want their money. And look, I'm running a business. I like to make money as much as the next person. But what really upsets me is that they just don't know the industry they're in well enough to understand that you just keep planting those seeds. Some of them are going to pop up in the spring. Some of them are going to pop up a year from this spring. Yep. And just keep planting those suckers. Um, okay, moving on. Uh how many libraries do you write for today? That's from uh, uh, Polly. I'm not sure. Let's see. Let me think. It's probably... Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say in the 6 to 10 range, something like that. Probably around 10. It's kind of hard because like, it, generally there's probably like, you know, like maybe 5 that I'm constantly supplying stuff too but then there's you know other ones that i'm kind of occasionally sending stuff out to does so it the um, to 10 range upset like anybody when they re when library a reaches out to you and you go okay library b reached out to me two days later but i know that i'm going to make more money with that library or it could be you know maybe a music soup at mtv i know i'm going to make more money there than there and you have to kindly apologize to requester A by saying, eh, I can't get to that. Do you ever fear um, that they're going to go away and not come back to you again? No, I don't think so, because uh, most of them understand, you know, that it's not the easiest industry to make money in, mm -hmm. and you've got to, you know, 
you, you know, you're your own little business. They're their business, and so they've got to do what's right for them, but you've got to do what's right for you as well. Like, and I've had to say that before. I'm like, you know, look, I'll do this, but I was like, I've got, you know, another 10, and the guy's paying money up front. You guys aren't, so I've got to, like, sorry. You know, I, I don't know. You know, like, and yeah. most of them will understand that, but it's like, you know, I'm, I, you know, like, I'm so sorry that I can't work for free for you because somebody else is paying me to work. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I'd say it politely, but, you know, it, it, most of them, they'll, they'll, they'll understand that. Like, because they, they know, you know, you're, you're doing this for a living and you've got to do what you have to do to keep paying bills. Makes perfect sense. Um, wow, questions are rolling in at a breakneck speed and it's 5.15. Five more minutes and I'm out of here. Sorry guys, but it's my granddaughter's first birthday. Um, I can't miss that. I've screwed up enough family stuff over the last 25 years but I'm not messing that up. Uh, this is from Piano Guitar Vocal. I do not have a car. Can you recommend a substitute for checking mixes without checking it in the car? Uh, yeah, really. I mean, I so I generally do ear earbuds. Um, that's a good one, like the Apple earbuds. I think actually sound pretty good for something that comes free with your phone. Uh, and also, a lot of people are listening to music on those, so I do that. My other headphones, um, yeah, that's what I would do. Most of, most of my mix checking is 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 between two sets of headphones. Um, Gloria Covington wants to know why can't you copyright something? Uh, I think she means to register the copyright. Then go ahead and submit a song while waiting for the acknowledgement to come back that you've registered the copyright. I mean, I guess you can, but I mean, beyond that, it's also the money thing. I mean, like you're, you know, you don't, you might not ever make any money on it at all, you know, and if, and, and, or you might make just whatever it is it costs to, to copyright. Like, what is it a song? What is it per song? Uh, I think, I want to say 35 bucks. 35 bucks, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's gone up to 35. I mean, last time somebody quoted me the number, I went, wow, I had no idea. Thing, yeah, you're in business to make money, not, you know, figure out ways to lose money. Or yeah, support think, the federal government. Yeah, You could yeah, think that, of it yeah, as a good that, thing. Yeah. You're supporting yeah. your government. There you go, yeah. <laughs> um, what are you using for your keyboards and digital audio workstation these days? Uh, I'm sorry. So what was the first uh, part of the you, uh, GWs? Uh, your keyboards. What's your go-to keyboard? Oh, um, so and, I and use uh, so I use um, the, my uh, DAW is uh, Ableton, and let's see, keyboard. I use the what is it? The Impulse, something. I can't I think is it. I can't remember who makes it, but it's Impulse. It's cool because it's got like a little arpeggio thing that you can do on there, that which is, which is kind of neat. Okay. Um, and then I actually just got the Seaboard uh, Rise 49 key that I'm going to play with and figure out. And then I have the push controller as well. Um, how many tracks do you, on average, write per day or per week? Uh, it depends. Um, I generally shoot for at least three. Um, but per a lot of time. day or week? Uh, no, per week. So at okay. least three a week. But, um, yeah, there's other there's there's certain weeks where I'll do 12. Um, um uh, I think I totally missed this. Exclusive or non-exclusive? Now you're gonna. Some of you will be shocked by this answer because I already know it. Do you put most of your stuff in exclusive libraries or most of your stuff in non-exclusive libraries? Um. So uh, it's changed a little bit actually. So oh. I might. I might. Uh. Yeah. So recently I've been doing more for exclusive libraries. I'm shocked. Um. But that is only because I've had more of an influx of of upfront paying. Exclusive libraries, which is That's generally a, a non, no non-exclusive yeah. library I've ever met is going to say, "Here's 500 bucks, yeah. make me a track that yeah, I'm not no, going to." They don't. and they should. And that's one of the, that's one of the, the the things about non-exclusives that that's good. They're not paying you up front, but you can also kind of uh, 
temper your risk a little bit mm-hmm. um, and manage it because you know maybe they don't make you any money, but maybe you can make money with that track in the royalty-free space. Like I've had I've had tracks that'll make a ton of money in a library or whatever uh, in one library, but then doesn't in another one. So like if it was just sitting in that track, you know, or I'm sorry, in that library, it wouldn't have made any money. Then I have, I have tracks where like I've made a ton of money in the royalty-free space and I've sent them out to companies that uh you know for for reality shows and whatnot and it doesn't make hardly anything so that's that's one of the and that's why i do actually have i still submit to non-exclusive libraries and i do like them um i i i'm not on the uh the non-exclusive library hate train i think everybody (laughs) i think everybody should have a fairly large non-exclusive catalog if nothing else just as a diversification type thing because um, you know, if, if everything you're doing is exclusive, then guess what? You don't own the copyright on any of that stuff, like yeah. they do. So you have your non-exclusive catalog of whatever it is. Maybe maybe it's a hundred or two hundred, and it grows or whatever. Then that's that's hundred, two hundred, three hundred tracks where that you have that you can do whatever you want with. Um, and there's a lot of shows, production companies, and whatnot that do not care that you that it's exclusive or non-exclusive. So wouldn't it be uh, nice if you ran into a music supervisor at a production company or whatever that doesn't care whether it's exclusive or not exclusive and they're like I need a bunch of tracks in the, and you have a hundred of them right because yeah. you, you've got your non-exclusive library that's built up that's been making you money in the past with other companies we get so, the this is uh, an adjunct issue is we get supervisors that are coming to us more and more frequently asking for stuff uh, and our members that I know would make great music that these supervisors would love don't have anything to pitch because it's out there and signed to catalogs already. Mm-hmm. So I kind of say to taxis members who are very prolific and productive, you should keep like a stash of 10 or 15% of your stuff in reserve um, because we've had EDM requests for you know a car commercial. It could be a $35,000 uh, creative fee and I would love to see you get it because I know you make great EDM. But your stuff's all taken. All, all, all your girls or daughters are out there married. Yeah, and yeah, yeah and that's why you need to have you know, a, yeah, a stash of, of non-exclusive stuff. Yeah, I think you know. Um, all right. Oh gosh, I'm such deep trouble. Was uh, <laughs> a longtime songwriter? Okay, uh, this is a great one. Uh, what's your advice for a longtime songwriter just starting to submit instrumental cues to Taxi? There are so many of you out there, and I really tried to orient last year's Taxi Road Rally to the songwriter who also wants to make money, and yes, cues are a great way to do that, so what's your advice on how they kind of get out of one mindset and move to another? Um, you know, I don't know that I have any really good advice other than just do it. Um, like, that's that's what I did. Like, you know, just watch TV, listen to the tracks. Um Listen to tracks that are posted on the forum because I know there's a lot of guys that are on that the taxi to, forum. Yeah, on forum yeah. Forums.taxi.com. And um and listen and then just maybe just pick like one genre that you think you would be good at and then try to do you know listen to somebody else that, that's had success in that genre and listen to their cues because um, I'm I'm sure you can find them posted on the yeah taxi in the forum. in the forward yeah. section yeah and listen to them and then say okay and then just start start doing it the only way you know the only way that you're gonna uh, get anything really is just by doing it over and over again so you just you just gotta have to jump into it speaking of good uh, actually speaking of great why don't you play us a, a couple of cues before because oh. I'm not gonna let him get out of here without letting you guys hear what he does okay so I guess we'll we'll start with a rock one sure. Um, this is an this is an old one, but it's been used in a lot of stuff, so I guess it's a fairly good example. 
my one little element into the book. That's a that's a good cue thing to do. Right, constantly yeah. building. And then there's a little bit of a transition here. And this is like just like the sparse for dialogue type thing in case they build it up, that. break yeah. it down, and then you'll yeah. build it back up again. Yeah, and then added one little synth thing in there. So just kind of you know, you drop it out and then you slowly kind of build it up. Nothing too terribly complex. It doesn't need to be complex. Right. The more complex you get, as a matter of fact, probably the more soft you are as far as production. You're yeah. not trying to win composer of the year. No. Uh, All right, play us another. Okay, so this one is a, a Chinese track, actually, a traditional Chinese music track that was used in the show Gotham. Okay. Let's see, let me make sure it's on the zero. Okay. This is my first and only traditional Chinese music track, by the way. Okay, and then I guess last but not least is uh, we'll do a hip hop one. All right. For reality, it's been using a lot of reality shows. Of, um, like when you're doing a lot of like uh, instrumental reality shows, um, especially like hip hop and EDM, uh, a lot of times it'll start out like it'll be like scenes where they're you know kind of going over the city or whatever, like transitional type scenes, um, and then it'll uh, you know drop out, and then they'll they'll have more dialogue. But so like you have to kind of, I try to like have some kind of hook in the beginning that that catches the ear quick. Mm -hmm. And then, then I'll go into something sparse like this. For, Very so that, smart. that way, you know, I, they can use it for those scenes where they're like kind of trying to create an atmosphere where maybe the music is more upfront. That's brilliant. But then also, there's a sparser section where like if they want to keep it going from that, then they can, they have, you know, some room to work with. And have the Broca's area. It's the part of your brain right above your ear that notices something new and different. So you've pulled them in and then gotten out of the way. Yeah. 
Love it. That's, that's right. generally how I like to approach. Uh, I've really got to go. Um, man, there were so many questions. I just tried to copy the whole chat room. If somebody could go in and copy the chat room, put it, paste into a Word doc or an email and send it to me, I want to get to some of those other questions at some point. Um, for some reason, it's telling me I don't have the font uh, from the chat room to do that with. I really need to go. So, Matt, trot down here and take a picture of us, please. Um, and I will see you all next week, Steve. I can't you, man, uh, enough. It, it's, as always, extremely proud of you, and you thank know you. that. Um, and, and thank you for being so generous and sharing what you know. And I hope that people learn from it rather than going, yeah, well, and going for the exception. Because you know what? Life turns out better when you go for the rule, generally speaking, than exception but wait yeah. around all day for the exception to happen that's right so <laughs> there you go and with that i bid you guys adieu i will see you next week for a show that i haven't planned yet and until then bye bye you guys